Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, there's none like you. God, there's none like you. There's none like you. There's none like you. There's none like you. Oh, seek you, oh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Where could I go, Jesus? Hallelujah, Jesus, Jesus. God, in your name, in your name, in your name, in your name, in your name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a good God. What a good God. Someone say he's great. Greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. The presence of the Lord. To the presence of the Lord. So many times, so many times whenever... Uh, conditions are as they are, and Brother Mason's not here. I, I, my brain and stuff, I got to concentrate so much on what I'm doing. It seems like I just, you know, miss out on everything in the service. But I tell you, as we were singing that song, that song was being sung, I felt the presence of God. I felt the presence of God. Hallelujah, Jesus, I need him. I need him, I need him, I need him, I need him. I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter number 12. Hallelujah. 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 Genesis chapter number 12. We're going to start with verse number 6. Also be turning to Genesis chapter number 13. Genesis 12 and Genesis 13. Both those places tonight. Amen. I had something else here. Right there. I felt right before service in the office something quickened to my mind and so I want to I want to go that direction here tonight Genesis 12 and verse number 6 the Bible says and Abram passed through the land to the place of Sychem to the plain of Moray the Canaanites was then in the land the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed will I give this land there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. There he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. There was a famine, or one say famine. There was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Verse number 20 of this same chapter, the Bible says, And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, concerning Abram, that is. And they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Continuing in verse 1 of chapter 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south 
And Abram was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, and to the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lord just brought this back to my remembrance here tonight, but I believe that perhaps it is for somebody. Abram was longing, had done the journey from Ur of Chaldees to Haran to the land of Canaan and was there just a short time that a famine had filled the land. And by his own prescription, by his own feeling, he felt as though he needed to go down to Egypt. But there would come a period of time that Pharaoh would dismiss him from Egypt and Abram just went back to where it all started and he went back to his altar. I want to minister here this evening something along these lines of where do you go? A question to you tonight. Where do you go? Whenever the famine's in the land, whenever the Egypt that you have fled to dismisses you, where do you go? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Father, I need you here tonight. God, I pray, oh Lord Jesus, God, for whatever reason, Lord, that you have Lord, turn my direction, Lord, this way. I pray, God, that you're able to help me. God, I'm not going to, Lord Jesus, fear the faces of clay, God, or my own thoughts, God, that may be intimidating to me. But, Lord, I'm just going to try to lean into the voice of heaven, God, of what you would desire and what you would want. Because ultimately, God, that's what needs to be done in this place tonight. I pray, Lord, you're able to prick a heart. You're able to prick a mind, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, I feel, Lord, through the Holy Ghost, your word, Lord, is seeking to do some reaching here tonight. God, seeking, Lord, to do some reaching, Lord Jesus, in this place this evening. I pray, oh God, that you're able to reach, Lord Jesus, at the point, God, of the need, Lord, of individuals, at the point, God, of confusion, at the point, God, of people, Lord, that's in, Lord, valleys of contemplation and consideration. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, that you're able to minister to that extent, Lord, and I'll trust you for it, God, and put my faith, Lord Jesus, in you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen the church say amen amen you may be seated today in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah Abram and I'll probably call him Abraham Abraham having been ordered of God to depart from his land the land of Ur of Chaldees to leave his kindred to leave everything that he was familiar with to go on a journey with a undetermined destination he simply went on this journey by the pleading of the Lord for him to go. He didn't really know where the finality or the finish line would be for this journey. But it was to be a land, according to the scripture, that God would show him, that God would instruct him. He travels along on this journey with the Lord being his sole source of direction. The Lord being his source of guidance. They left, the Bible says in a few chapters earlier, they left Haran, an area that they had dwelt at for a period of time on this exodus and on this journey. They went forth into the land of Canaan, the land that God had desired for Abraham and his wife and the descendants that they would have. It was the land of promise. It was that undetermined destination 
now that became very apparent to Abraham. It was that undetermined destination that the Lord had on his mind for Abraham and his family from the very beginning that God was yet to reveal to Abraham that God had bound up in his divine plan and his divine will. And so with the Lord as Abraham and Sarah's compass, they went forth into the land of Canaan. And as a result, they reached their destiny. The Bible says, then into the land of Canaan they came. They set themselves in that direction, and that is where they came unto. However, they had scarcely passed through the land of promise, the land that we know from reading our Bible would be a land of milk and honey, a land of produce, a land of very well things. They had just scarcely passed in to that land of promise. When the Bible describes that a grievous famine arose there in the land. And therefore, as a result of the sole reason and the sole purpose for Abraham and his family, now to depart the land that God had destined for them, depart from the land that God had predetermined, if you will, for them because of famine, they would already very quickly now pull up stakes, fold away tents, and take he and his family down into the land of Egypt. And it was because there was a famine in the land. The world of that hour and that day, it was not uncommon for famine to overtake a land. The ancient world generally was subjected to periods of time of famine. There was times of dearth that oftentimes ran through the land. It would reach certain districts and certain regions and towns and cities. Sometimes it was more pervasive than other times. It was inevitable that such times would result in famine, times of lack of water or lack, if you will, of precipitation, that famine would come upon the land. It's inevitable that that would take place for them at that age. And it's inevitable for us even in our day as we look through a spiritual lens, lens that there are going to be times of famine, famine, stations in our life of dearth where it seems like nothing is falling. There's no precipitation upon our spiritual lives. But famine was a universal problem of their day. Uh, it was a universal process, problem of their day, and it visited the old, and it visited the young. It visited the rich, and it visited the poor. It was no respecter of persons. As a matter of fact, through the pages of Scripture, there are a variety of famines that are mentioned in the Word of God. The Bible says that Isaac experienced famine in his lifetime, and he went from Canaan, the Bible says, down to Gerah. Jacob and his children endured the famine of Egypt that we are so familiar with. And the surrounding areas of that land were familiar with the famine as well. And the Bible says Jacob and he's, his household of about 70 members went down into Goshen in the land of Egypt. It was a famine that drove Naomi and her husband and their children for them to leave Bethlehem of Judea 
and go down into Moab. It was the result of a famine. Elijah suffered a famine. Elisha suffered through a famine. David had been exposed to a famine. Other prominent men and women all throughout God's word had succumbed to times in their life of famine. But the difficulty of famine is this. Famine will subject a person to irrational thinking. Famine will subject an individual to irrational thinking. They, they often made corrupt choices based upon the time of desperation that they were living in. In the year 596, parents, because of a famine, Parents consumed their children because of, no kids get afraid, okay? But parents consumed their children because of famine. Human flesh, in fact, it was the very common article of food in that year because of famine. As a matter of fact, they contrived a variety of ways to prepare it because they got old with preparing human flesh one way, so they prepare it another way. Men catching or kid catching or human catching became a regular business of the day and of the hour, all due to famine. You're just not thinking right. One of the horrors of famine, the second year famine of 597, an eyewitness gives a very most interesting account and states that the people throughout the country were driven to the last extremities. They were eating awful or they were eating waste parts. They were eating dumb. And even their own dead. And it mentions that in certain instances of dire straits to which they were driven. That the multitudes fled the country. Only the parish on the desert road to Palestine. They just were not thinking right. And so the response to almost any recorded famine in the scripture. Was that the people seemed to respond by sojourning to a foreign land. Isaac did it. Abraham did it. Naomi and her husband did it, that whenever things were not, if you will, accommodating in their minds where they were, they sought out a foreign land, a foreign land, a foreign land. Amen. Those who were starving, amen, came to a place that they learned that they would eat anything that had the chance of making them feel they were full. That's the reason why people would go to the place of eating their children, eating eating awful or eating, it is awful, eating, if you will, even dung, just to have the satisfaction as though they were full. But being full is one thing. Feeling as though you're filled is just one thing. That's just temporary satisfaction. But that's entirely different from being nourished. They were just looking for the satisfaction of being full, but they weren't being nourished. You got to be careful in the famines that arrive in your life that you don't just seek to be full and you miss out on being nourished. I declare in this house tonight that there could be some sitting in the sound of my voice that you find your present situation a famine. It is not conducive to the way that you would like life to be or the way you would wish life to be. But I beg of you tonight in this place as pastor, please don't just seek other areas, other places, and other people just for the purpose of being satisfied because you might be satisfied, but you might be malnourished. Someone say amen. Amen. 
even a moldy crumb of bread will be eagerly consumed. Amen. It might be very satisfying, but it might lack somewhat in nourishment. Those who are starving, amen, they would learn to be content with just small portions. Small portions. Not necessarily edible, amen, but just small portions. They would normally have ate that, but they will due to their present situation when they feel like that they were in a famine. See, a famine desensitizes the people that are starving. It desensitizes them. They'll be satisfied with very little. And the quality of the food doesn't necessarily matter. Garbage, if you will, will become acceptable whenever you find yourself in the vice of a famine. Up until this time, Abraham's journey has been one of faith. God said go, and he goes. He follows the direction and the instruction of God by faith. He didn't know where he was going per se, but he trusted the unseen hand of God to guide him, to direct him. He knew as Paul knew, I know in whom I have believed. It was a faith walk. So now that he's reached this place of promise, he's encountered a famine. It pervades the land. It causes Abraham to look at the tangible rather than the invisible. Causes him to consider what he can see with his eyes, what he can touch with his hands, rather than the invisible supply of God's faithfulness to him up until this moment of time. It's at this time, Brother Gregory Howard, that in the immediate relief for the situation, the immediate solution to the famine problem in Abraham's, amen, idea was that I need to go down into Egypt. I need to sojourn there just as Esau had sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a meager bowl of porridge in order to bring a immediate if you will but temporary relief to his hunger here's Abraham willing to go down to bring some relief if you will temporary yes but to him he thought it was immediate and so Abraham takes himself and his family down into Egypt thinking that this is the answer to the famine problem that's presently going on in my life and let me pause for a moment and say this that nobody tries to escape a famine by going to a foreign land by themselves. They will always take somebody with them. You are not trying to bring a solution to your problem by yourself. You'll take your family members with you. Someone say amen. And so another trip, man, he just got done with this trip. He's just arrived where God wanted him to be. But this trip now has prompted, prompted by the famine. Now he's going down to the land of Egypt. Amen. He was, folks. God said, I give you the land of promise. He says, there's famine. I'm going to Egypt. Abraham, listen to me tonight. Abraham was settling for less than what God had for him. Famine or no famine, he was settling for less. 
I got to be a voice of warning here tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost upon my life right here this evening. I got to be a voice of warning to someone here tonight that while you got wandering lies about some place that is better, and I'm not talking about churches, while you got warning, wandering eyes, thinking it'll be better over there. We're in a famine right now. Things are not like the way that I would like them to be in my own personal life. I'm not happy where I'm at in my own personal life. If you got wandering eyes to go somewhere, I'm telling you right now, if you make the trip, you're going to be settling for less. If you make the trip, you're going to be settling for less than what God has for you. They went down into Egypt. You always went up to Jerusalem. You always went up to the house of God. But if you go to Egypt, you'll see that people always went down. Always went down into Egypt. Because a trip to Egypt is a trip of descent. A trip to Egypt is a downward spiral. Let me even state it like this. A trip to Egypt, whenever the land of promises and famine, is still a trip of a downward spiral. Someone say yes. But it's Egypt, right? Egypt, one of the greatest powers of the ancient Near East. Egypt. It's being characterized throughout even the histories of Scripture as a place of wisdom. Have been characterized as a place of refuge, Egypt. Been characterized as a place of hope. But all three of those things were a pseudo wisdom, a pseudo refuge, a pseudo hope, a false wisdom, false refuge, false hope. It was a false hope. As fleeting, as fleeting, as the fleeing Hebrews it was that placed their trust in a dying nation rather than a living God. It was a false hope. In the Bible, the, the land, the nation of Egypt is a symbol of the world, symbol of the world system, its bondage and its slavery. It was, in fact, embellished by gold, Egypt was, and silver, it secured it from all of the trade routes that fed into its land and flowed out of its land that came down the river Nile. This river supplied water to their crops by means of artificial irrigation in order to enable them to have a harvest and have a bumper crop, which was, as I've told you before, totally contrary to the way that God worked in the land of Canaan. It was that land that flowed with milk and honey, and if the crops were going to be watered, it wasn't by artificial means. It was going to be because the dew from heaven fell upon the mountain, ran down into the valley. It was a divine act of heaven. So if we just kind of back it up a little bit, you can go to Egypt and get that which comes by artificial means, or you can stay through the thick and the thin in Canaan and get what's produced by a dew that falls from heaven. However, Abraham's trip to Egypt on the surface seems as though it was profitable to him. 
While in Egypt, he increased his number of sheep. While in Egypt, he increased his number of oxen, his he asses, his she asses, his men servants, maid servants, and camels. He increased all of this livestock that he had while he was in Egypt. Can you open that? The humidity is very bad up here. Abraham had gleaned and garnered the bounty of the land of Egypt. Someone say amen. But the irony of the situation is revealed in the last verse of chapter 12. Abram's been there. He's received the increase of his resources, of his men and maidservants. But the Bible says, and Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, <clears throat> concerning Abraham. And they sent him, that's Abraham, away, and his wife, and all that he had. The irony is this. God help my voice. The irony is this. Abraham thought Egypt was the solution to his famine in Canaan. You hear me? Abraham thought that place that was known as hope and refuge and power and surplus was the answer to the famine he was experiencing right back home. He thought it was the answer to his unfavorable conditions to him. Remember, God never told him to go. They were just unfavorable conditions to Abraham. So he got an inkling, I'm going down to Egypt. He thought that was his answer. But I ask you tonight, God help us. I ask you tonight, what do you do? And where do you go when the very thing that you thought was your answer says you're not welcome here anymore? I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. You might as well turn around and find another avenue, another place. I'm telling you tonight, I know in the Holy Ghost there's some people said in this house that thought, you know, you can put whatever blank in there, label on there that you want. That's my answer. It's unfavorable right now. That's my answer. That's what I'm going to go to. That's what I'm going to confide in. But honey, what are you going to do when the thing you're confiding in says, sorry, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You might as well go on and leave. And get I don't when you think Egypt was your answer and Egypt dismisses you, where are you going to go then? What are you going to seek for then? What are you going to run to then? Someone say amen. So Egypt, that Egypt that Abram had confided in, that Egypt that Abram had trusted in. That Egypt that Abram thought was the answer to his dilemma. 
now is looking him back in the face and saying, sorry, Abraham. There's no more livestock for you to take from us. There's no more men servants or maid servants that you can have from us. As a matter of fact, we're showing you the exit door. You got to get out of here. You got to leave. What do you do when Egypt rejects you? The Bible says, verses 1 through 4 of 13, and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had lot with him into the south. <laughs> and Abram, look, it's true, he's very rich. He's got cattle that's been increased in Egypt. He's got silver that's been given in abundance in Egypt. Gold that's been accumulated in Egypt. And the Bible says he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Hai. And unto the place of the altar which he had made there. At the verse, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. He went back to the beginning. He went back to the place of his altar. Because although he thought Egypt was his answer, the whole time he was in Egypt, he was void of an altar. Although he thought Egypt was solution, the whole time he was in Egypt, he was void of an altar. And yes, Pharaoh gave Abraham a lot of wealth. And yes, Pharaoh gave him a lot of silver. And he maybe perhaps got a lot of gold and men servants and maidservants. Amen. And the Bible, according to our understanding, some of those maidservants that were given unto Abraham was maids that was for Sarah herself, which was one maid in particular that I'd like to submit to you, was given unto Abraham during his time in Egypt, was a lady by the name of Hagar that was given to Sarah and Abraham. Abraham during their time in Egypt. What are you saying, Pastor McGee? Everything you get in Egypt, amen, is not going to be profitable to you. Some of the things you get while you're in Egypt is going to be the very thing that will give you trouble once you get out of Egypt. You might have the silver and the gold and all of that, but everything you receive in Egypt is not going to be beneficial to your life when you leave Egypt or Egypt tells you to go. They've taken the path, if you will, of Egypt. They might have more money than they've ever had before. They might per se say they're happier than they've ever had before. But what they picked up in Egypt was a ball in the chain. That's causing them more trouble on this side of the line than what there was when if they just stayed in the land of Canaan and dealt with the famine. Honey, what you get in Egypt will cause you more problems than what the famine in Canaan would ever cause you.
Somebody got to hear the voice of the Lord tonight. He's beckoning unto you. Don't leave the land of Canaan. I know it doesn't seem like the best of circumstances in your life right now, but it's better than what you inherited during your time in Egypt. Hallelujah. Let's raise our hands right now to the Lord all across this place. Hallelujah. Let's be sensitive to his word. Let's be sensitive to his word. Oh. Glory, 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 glory. Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord. Where will you go tonight? Where will you go tonight? What will you do? And the very thing you thought was the solution. And the thing that you thought you was the thing that you thought was going to make you happy doesn't make you happy anymore. What are you going to do when the thing that you thought was going to turn your life around turns it around and tells you just to go on and dismisses you? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hmm. Everything you get during your sojourning, sojourning and what you perceive to be your solution will perhaps cause you some problems later. Yes, Abraham got great wealth, but so did Lot. They both increased their goods. And from my understanding, as a result of it then in chapter 13, because both have increased their goods, 
Abraham and Lot, as I spoke this morning, could not live together. The land could not bear them because they had accumulated too much during their time in Egypt. There was strife between the brethren because they accumulated too much. While in Egypt, they had to separate the one from the other. That handmade Hagar would bring division in the home between Abraham and between Sarah. The moment that Hagar would conceive with child, she would not look at Sarah the same way that she looked at her. She would look at her arrogantly as though she had something more to offer Abraham than what Sarah did. Let me tell you, if you take a stroll through Egypt, it'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your marriage. Having a taste, having a taste of Egypt, taste, if you will, of that system that was symbolical to the world, having a taste of Egypt caused a lot to start measuring everything that he saw by the standard of Egypt. And whenever he chose to measure everything he saw by the standard of Egypt that he would not even know of, had he not went down there, led to Lot's own personal downfall and the very ruin of his family. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because the Bible says in Genesis 13, verse 10, Abraham and Lot deciding we don't want to strive together. We're brothers. We're going to part ways. Lot, you choose whatever land you want, and whatever you don't choose, I'll take. You choose what you want, and whatever you don't want, I will take. And the Bible says that Lot, Lot lifted up his eyes, Genesis 13, 10, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom, and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Look at this now. Look at this now. You know what? Everything got mixed up for Lot. There's one or two things going on here. He's looking at the plain of Jordan. Look what he says. He says, it's even as the garden of the Lord. And then he says, like the land of Egypt. Son, those two phrases should not be in the same sentence. Those two should not be in the same sentence. There's one or two things happening right here. He either seen some aspects of the land that reminded him of what Eden was described like and other aspects that were like Egypt that he had been exposed to and he wanted a land where he could have both. In other words, Brother Fred, he didn't want a pure Eden. But he wanted a little mix of Egypt in that. So he's either seeing that or his whole system of perception and identity was so messed up, he couldn't tell an Egypt from an Eden. Right. 
trips down into Egypt will cause you to want to compromise and it'll totally mess up your perception of what is right and what is wrong. You'll call good evil and you'll call evil good if you ever take a trip to Egypt. It'll affect you for the rest of your days in some regard. So if you want the water to come to the front, you just stomp your feet a little bit and he'll come to you. Practical. And I'm hastening to a close. And I think we're going to be all right with the storm. Practical lesson is this. And you can stand with me. I'll tuck this thing in for bed tonight. Practical lesson is this. He built his first altar there in Bethel, between there and Hai. When he left Egypt, the only thing left to do was to go back to where it was where it began. Go back to the altar. Days in Egypt was void of an altar. Here's the practical lesson. Simply just never abandon your altar. Stated differently, it's like this. Anywhere, any place where we cannot build the altar is a place we don't need to pitch our tent. You know what it was? I think it was Jacob. The Bible says he heard the voice of the Lord. The Lord spoke to him. And the place where the Lord spoke to him, that's where he built his altar. That's where he pitched his tent. And that's where he dug his well. He says, because if I'm going to stay in contact with his presence, I want to do it where I hear his voice. That's where I'm going to put my altar. And if that's if where I hear his voice, that's what I want my family to be exposed to. So that's where I'm going to pitch my tent. So if you cannot build an altar, wherever it is you are, don't be pitching your tent either. You only need to live where you can build an altar. The seriousness of the matter is this. When that close, we don't have no music, but it's in your head. Probably some other stuff in your head that don't need to be there, but the seriousness of the dilemma is this. Please listen to me now. I'm closing. Brilliant. The weeks, whatever that frame of time was, that Abram and his household were away from Bethel and were down in Egypt. Those were weeks and months that were lost. That could not be regained. What I'm saying is, if it was three months in Egypt, Abram would never be able to retrieve those three months. Are you hearing me? Are you saying that God can't bring somebody? No, God can do all these things. Well, I'm saying there's three months of your life that's lost. 
That's the reason why you hear people saying, you know, I wish I knew the Lord long before I knew him. Or there's other people that's backslidden and came back to God. I tell you what, I wish I never left God. You know why? Because the time that they were in Egypt can never be retrieved. Think about it for a moment. So what? Hagar has a son named Ishmael, right? Huh? There is animosity. There is trouble between Ishmael and Isaac. We follow those lines all the way to the modern day between Israel, the Jews, and the Palestinians, the Arabs. Look what could have been happened for centuries of history if someone just kept their feet where their feet should have been kept. And that was in the house of Bethel, the house of bread. Oh, it's no big deal, Brother McGee. Oh, yes, it is. Because some of the things that are birthed or received in Egypt may outlast even your present life to affect the lives of those that are descendants that come after you or family members after. Nothing to fool around with. God says, go. He got to Canaan. He arrived. And Abram says, there's a famine. This is a little uncomfortable. I, I need to do something. No, no, no. God never said, go, Abraham. God never said, you had the faith to follow him blindly from your land that you were familiar with. Then why don't you just keep the faith to follow him during an uncertain moment right now in your life? If we embow our heads all across this place tonight, our heads all across this place here this evening. I'm making a petition here tonight. I implore you, I beg with you, whoever we may be here this evening, if you are right now in the middle of some circumstances, if you're right now in the middle of life and there are some things that just don't seem very accommodating to you, they are, they are less than, than comfortable, they are less than superb, they are less than what you would really like, if you are entertaining the idea of Egypt, I beg of you, just keep your feet right where they are. Just keep your feet right where they are. Don't be running off to anywhere and any place that, that, that promises something better or that is enticing with their gold and their silver and all the luxuries. Uh, you know what Egypt does? It calls to us in those areas of our life that we think are deficient where we are. It will call to us about satisfying things that we believe is unsatisfied right now in our life. That is the deception of Egypt. You'll get more than what you bargained for if you go there. You'll get more than what you bargained for if you strike that deal. And eventually it'll turn its back on you. These altars are open tonight. Can we as a congregation tonight Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.